And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 11 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough. There is no Mark Carrig today. This has turned into a reality show to see which of us Andy wants to keep. How did Mark do last week, Andy? He did fine. Uh, I don't think he's quit the business again. I think he's just on vacation. You know, I'm the MVP of the show. I think we all know that. We've known that since the beginning. The show is built around me, my takes. So, you know, whatever. We just keep bringing in a, a new host every week. I'll just keep going. You are the glue. You are the glue, Andy. I will say, though, that uh, I checked in on the podcast from last week, and usually we do about 45 minutes. That's what we're uh, supposed to do. Last week's was like 32. So I think if you're <laughs> looking for the actual glue, it is without me. You guys, I just, I, I'm just assuming you and Mark just stared at Zoom and went like, uh, Albert Pujols, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that that was kind of similar to it. Actually, uh, what happened is uh, to go a little, uh, little inside baseball, not to, you know, use uh, some sort of insider language here, but uh, we, Mark and I recorded about a missing eight to 10 minute chunk uh, about Joe Madden's future with the uh, Angels, <laughs> so and uh, about an hour after we wrapped, he got fired. Um, which I'd have to go back and li- I mean, my brain—I have no idea what we said. <laughs> like I, I ge- like I genuinely can't recall it at all. However, I think our stance was like, I mean, I you know, I guess he's on the hot seat, but like, what's firing him gonna do? And it appears, you know, Artie Moreno and. Perry Manazian determined that after 12 losses in a row, there's only so many times you can hear as an explanation, don't worry about it, daddy-o, before you kind of need <laughs> decide you need to do something. I have to think that there's rational processes behind all, all this, where if you are Moreno and you are frustrated, you're not just going with off with their heads as a mentality. Maybe that's giving too much credit, but you have to have heard something. You have to have picked up on a, a vibe or some frustration. Or It's not as if the Angels are a clubhouse without veterans you can rely on and, and who have experience. There has to be something that is more than just an owner saying, how do we end this losing streak? I've got an idea. It's the one thing I can do. It's got to be more than that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there was a, a pretty clear hint about 
some of the disconnect from Joe Madden himself in that interview he gave with Ken Rosenthal, like soon after he was fired, when he sort of like unprompted started talking about uh, analytics. He said the firing was liberating in some ways, uh, and Ken was like, "Why? Most of the time, people don't say that. Why do you feel that way?" And he was basically saying he felt, you know, a little hemmed in by having to use you know, sort of whatever it is that managers have to do now to incorporate into their process. And that, like, I think Joe Madden, I think disillusionment is too strong a word to use, but his journey from being like the analytics guy to the anti-analytics guy, I think is really interesting. I would love to, you know, hook him up with sodium penthol to talk about just like what, you know, how did you get from the guy who was, you know, ahead of the curve on everything to the guy who's saying, you know, actually we need to go back. And I think you could, there's a lot to be said about kind of the state of the modern game from that, at least from the, the visual appeal of the product, maybe not the what it takes to win, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I was looking up his stats as a manager, and what I didn't realize is in 2014, his last year with the Rays, he was bunting a, a lot more than the average American League manager. He is not, I was looking at the stats, the stats are very vanilla as far as just the nuts and bolts, the substitutions, the pinch hitters, things like that. So I, I wonder when this idea of uh, Daddio Joe Madden kind of crept into the consciousness, because because I remember there was a time on Twitter when we thought Logan Morrison was interesting. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, they're, they're, like Twitter back then was a little more oh, in, interesting. It's so true. Or not, oh in, not interesting, but innocent. But it's it, it's a different time, and there was a time when Joe Madden came in, and everyone's like, "Wow, this is this is fresh, this is new," and it turns out not not as such. Well, I mean, it was at the time, I think, but it's sort of like, you know, if you if you talk about like innovations in uh, in the NFL, you know, they sort of realized, hey, maybe we shouldn't run the ball on second and three. Let's throw the ball every down because that way we can gain more yardage or like in the NBA. It's like, hey, take corner threes and layups. Those are the highest percentage shots in that same way. Now it's like, yeah, use defensive shifts. You have data that tells you where he'll probably hit it put the guys there and in 2008 that was you know it's like no we only shift for David Ortiz and Ryan Howard and Ted Williams that's it those are the only if Ted comes up we're moving everyone to the right side of the infield but otherwise everyone stay in place and the Rays you know had being run at the time by Andrew Friedman and they were really innovative in that and Madden was the guy sort of executing that at the big league level and I think you know he was open to it obviously right it made his career like the, his will his ability to manage the clubhouse his ability to you know sort of execute that what the front office his vision was for how the players should interact all of that he was the ideal manager and it's just a, it's just a hard job to do and uh, he very clearly because he's been open about this right like it's not like telling tales out of school he'll tell anyone who asks that there's problems with the game the modern game the way it looks and you know he tends to press on the sort of you know the analytics button and I, I don't think he's wrong I don't think he's wrong but I also don't know if a team pays a big league manager to stump for the aesthetic appeal of the game. They pay for him to win, and the Angels were not winning. That's a good point. And so by this token, when did the greater internet, I don't know if this is me in my internet bubble, because I follow a lot of baseball nerds and uh, supremely arrogant baseball nerds at that. So when did the larger internet turn on Joe Madden? When did the fans, when did interesting and quirky quirky become a little too cutesy or uh, when was that i don't know when the tipping point was i think it was the 2016 world series i mean i think if you watched that world series you saw like 
okay, there's they're leaving some stuff on the table here. I mean, I specifically remember because I because Jeff Passan and I both asked about it after game five in Cleveland or Chicago, Chicago. it must have been. Yeah. In get yeah, in game five, you know, Kyle Schwarber, who had come back, right, and was like DHing, but he couldn't play the field because of his knee. He was played really well in game two, I think, and then in uh you know, he was like the star of game two, and then games three through five, I think he got one at bat. Hmm. And like he couldn't find three at bats for Kyle Schwarber, his best bat. I remember after game five, Jeff Passan and I were kind of asking, like, hey, like, why didn't you use him here in the fifth? And he's like, oh, that's too early. And that was around the time, you know, when it's like, what? That's too early. That doesn't make sense. You know, it was kind of like when the hive mind of, you know, how we all think we know how to manage games, at least tactically, sort of took over on Twitter.com. And there was enough writers who I consider myself a member of this cohort. I care less about it now because, you know, whatever. Like, there's other people pointing out inefficient managing stuff. But, like, at the time, it was something that I took a lot of pride in pointing out. Like, like I remember in the 2017 NLCS, there was something. They are playing the Dodgers. And uh, Jake Arrieta had given up, like, I want to say, like, three runs in the first, like, four innings or something. And he'd thrown, like, 75 pitches. And he was about to go a third time through the order. And, like, I think it was, like, Madden let him bat in the bottom of the – or the top of the inning so he could come back out. And I remember standing up in the press box and going over to some, another writer just being like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> this is awful. And it's like, no, it wasn't good. It was in, it was inefficient. But, like, come on. That's not why the Cubs – the Cubs got their asses kicked because the Dodgers team was better. But it was just – I think stuff like that became more apparent. And then when you lose the benefit of the doubt, the sort of, you know, playing a little fast and loose, you know, the thing obviously with Mike Trout this spring was really bizarre, just like moving him off center field without telling him and then moving him back. The intentional walk was uh, a bit bizarre with the bases loaded and it was just clear it, it wasn't working. Yeah, I remember that's about the time. I think 2017 that, that NLCS is every time Carl Edwards Jr. came out to the mound to pitch, I was like crying tears for him in his arm it just it was always and that's the thing you can nitpick bullpen decisions to death and I hate doing that for managers but you got to see a lot of Madden over those years because of the Cubs and the prominence of the Cubs and there wasn't a lot of ah brilliant you know oh genius I never would have thought of that it was always just so it had to be if you're going to do that, you can live making decisions that aren't necessarily popular among Twitter nerds. You can be, you just have to do it in the clubhouse. And that has to be where the combination wasn't there. Yeah, but it seems very clear. It seems it seems pretty clear that it just, the, the disc, there was a disconnect there. And so they're moving on. And unfortunately, if we are in the market for, uh, oh, what is, what is, he got a mohawk too. Is that, is that right? <laughs> we had to before we moved on. So I think ESPN reported that. Tim Kirkshin reported that, right? Yeah, it was a so it was a slump buster, and so he was going to go into the clubhouse in the middle of a losing streak, take off his hat, and go, "Fellas, look at this. <laughs> this is the cure for everything." I don't think it's a bad idea. I'm not laughing at the idea that a manager would do this to liven up the clubhouse a little. I think that's great. I think it's, you know, it's it's quirky, it's silly, whatever. I wish, I, I have a list of bosses I wish would have done that at some point. Why it's funny is because he gets the news and now he's in a mohawk. And that is objectively <laughs> funny. Like, I don't want to, he's still a human being. Sure, but the sure, idea sure. of him being upset and head down, shoulder slumped with a mohawk is funny. Incredible. I mean, hey, life's rich pageant, right? Like baseball, the other sports don't provide you this stuff. Like you can, you know, 
They just don't. Like the NFL is more exciting, you know, you know, on a on a game by game basis. But come on, man, you you don't. They don't let coaches shave their heads in the NFL. You're not going to see Andy Reid show up with a mohawk and then get fired the next day. No, that's, man. That's Only baseball. I, that's what I wondered about. Like, you know, if all of a sudden Steve Kerr's on the sidelines with a mohawk, why not? Do we have a few years before this catches on, or is it baseball's the only one that that's ever going to do this? I disagree. I think we need more mohawks on the sidelines of different sports. Greg Popovich just shows up with a with a faux hawk. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like that. First off, we didn't play this game. We should have played this game. We should have planned this out. Uh, I searched for my oldest tweets about Joe Madden, uh, (laughs) like we did with with Miguel Cabrera. And I have to say, I lost the thread early on him. April 6, 2012. Uh, Here here is my tweet. Joe Madden ate all the crazy, and now there isn't any for the rest of us. Frowny face. Which is... Just a shitty tweet. It's just, it's not funny. It's, you know, it's ableist. Hey, it's it's not good on any level. But that kind of shows. And then uh, there's a lot of like little articles I was writing for SB Nation, uh, Baseball Nation at the time that are snarky, you know, pretty darn snarky. So at some point, it was fairly early for Joe Madden. I'm, I'm going to say about a decade that he's sort of been like, oh, okay, guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I looked up my uh, first tweet about Joe Madden. It was uh, must have been this must have been the 2011 ALDS, and it's uh, Joe Madden is playing checkers. Ron Washington is playing Fallout Three. <laughs> um, again, every every time we do this, every time we point out these tweets, <laughs> we that? really need to emphasize. Like we really need to emphasize that Grant and I. Are a success story. <laughs> like builds up so hard. <laughs> we, I make so much more money now than I did when I sent that tweet. So if that is an indictment of the modern sports media ecosystem, I don't know what is. So wait, what does that mean? So is Ron Washington eating like radiated no. beans <laughs> no. to get healthier? It was more the like, you know, it's like someone's playing checkers, someone's playing chess. Like you know, it's. <laughs> You know, there's like there's some comedy that like you take a, a well-known phrase and you twist it like five degrees, right? I was doing stuff where I twist it like eighty-five degrees, and it just made no sense. You know, I I don't know, I don't know. But the good news is the engagement. Uh, one like from a guy named Mike Taylor. Thanks, Mike. Oh, uh, now I just searched for uh, my tweets in checkers, and in 2016, I wrote, "We're all playing checkers," and Don Mattingly is playing chess, and then it's a bunch of gibberish. Again, not that funny. Not that funny. No, no that one's kind of funny. I don't. I don't know what you're trying to say. Oh but yeah, my gosh. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Hey, I just wanted to say real quick uh, before we switch topics off managering. I love Tony Larusa's intentional walk. We talked about this with the intentional walk that Joe Madden made uh, with the bases loaded. Uh, as you know, Larusa issued an intentional walk with two strikes. Makes no sense. I love it. <laughs> and here's why. I just briefly inefficient baseball is far more interesting and exciting than efficient baseball. I don't really think there's an argument against this. I think not understanding what's going on makes the game so much more exciting. It's a game built on failure. It's a game prefaced on mistakes. When mistakes happen and people get outside their comfort zone and they create new sort of scenarios, it becomes very exciting. Uh, I think about, you know, what's the most exciting play from the 2014 World Series? 
2014 World Series. Uh, that is Gregor Blanco and, and Juan Perez acting like nincompoops out there. Exactly. In, exactly. In the outfield. Yeah. And Alex Gordon getting held at third. Right. Why? It's based on a mistake. It's inefficient baseball. If that if that ball is fielded cleanly, right? No one's ever talking about that, right? Salvador Perez pops out, and everyone talks about how great Madison Bumgarner is. It, it, it injects energy into it. So I am always going to endorse managers doing somewhat crazy things, unless it's the playoffs and I have to write columns, and then I'm like paid to be critical about it. But during the regular season, right? Like it's fun. It's fun. And Tony LaRusso saying, you know, why is that even a question? Rules. Just rules. <laughs> That's what I loved. I loved that he was like, hey, so uh, what do you, What does he hit against left-handers with two outs and two strikes? What does Muncy hit, huh? 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 Tough guy? Huh? Just rules. Like, how can you be mad at it? Unless you're a White Sox fan. If you're a White Sox fan, yeah, sure, be upset. Everyone else, it's great. What a great game. It is more how I watch the game because I, professional baseball analyst, am very bad at analyzing baseball. And in the moment especially, when I'm watching a game, I watched the World Series. I'm not, I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018. I sat next to uh, Clinton Yates. And he is the kind of baseball observer and analyst who can be like fifth inning, pitcher spot coming up third. They've got two lefties on the bench. They've already burned two of their righties. You've got Joe Digman in the bullpen. Who do you bring in? And like, I'm just like, like, oh, there's there's three balls now. One more, and he gets the free base. You know, like he's <laughs> he's thinking like a manager. He's sure. 70 steps ahead, and I am never that smart. I am I'm a terrible chess player. I am just sort of like, ooh, let's see what the baseball brings here. And so when a manager is like that too, ooh, I'm gonna give you some baseball. We're aligned. So when Tony LaRusso is just throwing things around, that's that's how I play MLB the show. That's how I play poker. Uh, you know, that's how I do so invite me to your poker games, Andy. I'm just an idiot. I don't think two steps ahead on anything. Life, anything. Yeah, I loved it. I support it. And again, this, this as you know, as the MVP and the uh, the pillar of this show, the only person who shows up to work every week, this show endorses managers doing that. Because what's the point of being upset about it? It's so funny. Like, it, and it's great. I, I support it wholeheartedly. And I will say that as a Giants fan who watched, uh, in like a really hardcore nerdy fan, watching the Giants during the Dusty Baker era, that was fun. It was a fun era, not just because they were winning, but because he was always doing Dusty Baker, early Dusty Baker things that would make the fans go on, we'd talk about it and complain about it, and then. but it was also, he had this energy and this vibe. That was a lot, like, that was more fun than your garden variety Bruce Bochy game. Obviously, Bochy's winning championships, that ratchets the fun up. But Dusty Baker had this sort of chaos emerald, you know, vibe in the dugout. And so I really loved watching him as a manager. He's one of my all-time favorite managers. As LaRusso said, trust your gut, don't protect your butt. I mean, <laughs> you got it. I mean, yes, yes. Like words to actually live by. Now that Kids in the Hall is back in the popular culture, at least a little bit, Joe Madden was always, to me, uh, he's cool, he's hip, he's 45. Do you know that sketch? <laughs> yeah, yes. Whereas yeah. Bruce, yeah. Bruce McCulloch uh, was, would be like this really cool hipster with these glasses, and he, the scene would open up where he's pouring uh, vegetables, rotten vegetables into his compost, and he goes, do your stuff, worms, save the planet. And I don't know. Every time I watch Joe Madden, but that's me. Now we're me. Now we're talking about a, a man that uh, is bald now. Yeah, you really. Yeah, you become the, the mask you used to wear has become your face. Mm -mm 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 -mm. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk some NL West just because it's a hopping division. It it's is, heating up. 
Let me just ask you an aesthetic question first. Do you prefer when you have a three-headed Hydra of a race like you have in the NLS now, or do you like there to be a Godzilla and King Kong vibe where it's two teams just bunking heads together? I think at this stage of the season, I much prefer three. Yeah, maybe in uh, September, I prefer uh, like last year's race, right, where, where the dads fell off and it was just the, you know, the, the Giants and the Dodgers banging heads. I like having three teams because it, it gives you a reason to pay attention to more clubs. It kind of spreads out your, you know, if you're just like pulling up the MLB.tv sort of app and you're kind of trying to figure out where to watch, you maybe have, you know, three options rather than two. So, yeah, I think I think I like the spread. But when it gets when it gets down to the postseason, you know, you really want to see the best of the best and you really want to see like elite teams going at it rather than three clubs like scrapping for 90 wins. I'm not as I don't find that very interesting. I will say one other uh, aesthetic change to this year's race that I enjoy uh, a lot is that the Diamondbacks and Rockies aren't objectively terrible. They're not great. But they're not, I don't think that you're going to have a 100-game loser in this division. And that is important because that was such a drag when you'd look at the schedule and be like, oh, the Giants are in Arizona. Great. Or the Dodgers. Okay, great. The Diamondbacks are in Los Angeles in September. What do you think is going to happen? So I think this is better. Those are not easy guaranteed wins anymore. So I, I, I like that vibe of it too. Yeah, you probably won't have stretches where like the Dodgers go seven and one and lose ground in the division, <laughs> you know. Um, but your Padres, man, they are still afloat. Uh, the offense is is coming back a little bit. Um, you know, obviously Eric Hosmer has cooled off, and Manny Machado is still pretty good. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. It's funny because I'm going in different directions on the Padres. Before the season, I talked a big game and saying, well, don't, don't sleep on the Padres. The Padres are going to be right there for a couple different outlets, I think, for this podcast and on one of those, all the athletic MLB writers contribute something. I contributed, uh, Padres going to win the World Series, half tongue-in-cheek, but half just more expressing, no, I'm pretty uh, bullish on the Padres. Now I'm here and the Padres are proving me right, and I'm looking at their baseball reference page and I'm going, ah, this one... Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, because if I'm thinking the Padres are going to be where they are right now, I'm thinking Trent Grisham's having a, a fantastic year. He's he's only 25 years old. He's going to break out. Uh, they're getting that production from catcher that they traded for with Austin Nola. They are getting something from C.J. Abrams. He's up and he's outstanding. Uh, Hassan Kim is going to be the prospect slash veteran slash utility knife that they wanted and they paid for and all these things none of them are happening I don't know if it's as simple as you Darvish rounding back into form Joe Musgrove having a Cy Young season the rotation Mackenzie Gore turning into the left-hander who's supposed to be I don't know if it's as simple as the rotation is kicking ass but I think it's kind of that simple right now I think it's just they are pitching their their nose off that's always been the purported strength of the club. I guess just the issue was that it didn't really show up in recent years. But right now, you know, you're, they look pretty good. I mean, Musgrove has been awesome. You can make a case that he should, you know, start the All-Star game. Um, you know, Darvish has, has started to turn it around. And, you know, like, yeah, as you said, Gore has been pretty good. I mean, you can't really ask for much out of like a 22, 23 year old kid. So, you know, uh, the question is like, will it hold up? You know, can you, you know, can you rely on, uh, you know, is Blake Snell going to have a five ERA forever? Like at some point he had, he has to pitch more like the guy he was in Tampa Bay. You think, I mean, but you kind of thought that all last year, uh, Manaya has been fine. He's been, you know, exactly what you'd expect. Nick Martinez has been pretty good. So like, yeah, I mean, that's the, the obvious strength of the club. It's just kind of wondering like how long can that stay afloat? And cause the offense, I don't know exactly where the offense is going to, I mean, I guess Grisham just through positive regression, crony just through positive regression. Ah, I don't know. It's tricky because you've got the dead and ball. And so all these raw stats, a 672 team OPS, that is a 96 adjusted OPS, which means they're not that below average. They're, they're there with the rest of the league. They're not doing horribly. But when you isolate that and you just look at what their hitters are actually doing, Q 
Kim is hitting 212, Grisham 179, Luke Voigt 222. And I know that batting average is a little passe, but that's just speaking to the quality of the innings and the offense that's going on there. And it's not like they're coming with these super great on base percentages and slugging percentages. I mean, it's it's bad all the way around. It's hard for me to pick at one of these guys and go, well, definitely him. That guy's going to get better. This guy's going to turn it around. It is the only hitter I trust in that entire lineup is Manny Machado. Machado. And I'm not sure what I was thinking when I picked them to win the World Series. I think you thought that those other players would be good if I had to take it. If I had to climb inside your mind palace, that's what I would guess was going on there. Also, though, your pick on the Padres was sort of a bet against the Dodgers and the Giants. And I think that aspect of it is coming true to some extent. I mean, like the Sounding the alarm on the Dodgers will make you look like an idiot, I think, because they've shown an ability to, you know, go through stuff. But losing Walker Bueller potentially for, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, he has a significant elbow injury, and so I, you can't really bet on him coming back uh, this year, and you certainly can't bet on him coming back at the level he was last year. I mean, he hasn't been that guy since midway through the playoffs last year. That's a real problem. I mean, that was the guy who they really, really relied on in all these sort of postseason runs in recent years. I mean, he was their number one. And so that puts added pressure on, you know, Clayton Kershaw, obviously, who's the results are great. It's just a matter of, you know, physically, like, can his back hold up over the course of the season? Um, Julio Urias has been good, but, you know, he's not going as deep into games as they'd like. He's taking some losses, you know, that sort of stuff. And so they really are relying on, like, okay, Tony Gonsolin, Tyler Anderson, maybe, you know, the Heen dog, Andrew Heaney will come back and be good. It's not what it used to be, you know. It's not like last summer when – it was Scherzer and Bueller and Urias and even Kershaw for a brief moment. It's not what it was. And the lineup, you know, Freddie Freeman's been good. Mookie Betts has been really good. You know, Trey Turner's good. Everyone's been good. But it's not the 27 Yankees. It's it's a it's a good, you know, 95 to 98 win team probably. It's just a matter of like, can they stay healthy? When you bring up Scherzer last year, that when they got Scherzer, it was like, oh boy, here we go. And I'm wondering if there is going to be a little bit of a repeat this year because last year they got Scherzer because they didn't have Trevor Bauer. So this year they're not going to have Walker Buehler. Is there someone, I am not one who clicks on in June, especially the top 30 trade candidates, the top, here are the top players you're going to get moved. So I'm a little behind. I'm not sure if uh, if Frankie Montes is, is like the best pitcher available. I don't know. But would you assume that the Dodgers still with a, a robust farm system, that that's going to be, they're going to look for a Walker Bueller replacement? Yeah, I mean, it has to be. Yeah. So Montas, you know, uh, Luis Castillo will come up. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what the market churns. It's it's still so early that it's kind of hard to say who the exact targets will be. But those two guys make some sense. But neither of those guys is Walker Bueller. I mean, they're both like sort of middle of the rotation guys. Like the difference is that Walker Bueller, you can trust to start game one, to start game seven. You know, you can trust him for six innings in a playoff game. And you know that after six, you will be in that game, if not ahead. They don't have that anymore. And so that's a, you know, that's a real problem. I suspect the Dodgers will still win the division. The lineup has 
so much talent still, uh, even if guys are, are some guys are underperforming, or even the guys who are hitting well are sort of underwhelming. How much of that is the, you know, the composition of the baseball? We'll see what happens as the, you know, as the weather gets better and stuff like that. The ball is starting to fly. I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting just thinking of, you know, as I wrote last year that like this was kind of the end of Dodger hegemony and obviously like I'm an idiot and that hasn't come to pass but you could sort of see it like they're not they're not the the well-oiled machine they were in you know in 17 in 19 and 20 they're just a really really good team which they happen to play in a division with two other really good teams one of whom you watch a lot of I think the Dodgers like you. I think they're the best team in the division. I think, as with my tongue in cheek, half tongue in cheek prediction of the Padres, the Dodgers have always scared me more. But they are a good lesson that when you look at a, a list of names on paper, it's easy to project their best case scenarios or even their medium case scenarios. And you're not predicting Max Muncy what he's doing, or you you might predict Cody Bellinger doing what he's doing, but there are going to be blips. I mean, if you look at like the 1977 Reds, you have the big red machine and they had in 1977, well, you know, Pete Rose is, is not hitting for the power that he was Pete Rose wise. You know, you, know, you have this guy's not so hot. They're doing good stuff, but they're not like not all of them are at the top 90th percentile of what they can do. And that's sort of what's going on with the Dodgers right now. With the Giants, they have a lot of things going right. And that's what's surprising to me is they have a, a they've weathered injuries. Brandon Belt hasn't been there. That's clearly not something that's going right, but they're replacing him. Uh, with guys in the lineup and they're scoring runs. I think they're third in baseball in runs per game. They just can't feel. They're what the Phillies tried to be. It's weird to say because we spent a lot of time a couple weeks ago explaining, well, the Phillies, it's uh, it's exponential. It, it builds up. You know, it's cumulative. What's, what you do as a bad defense, what you do to a pitching staff, what you do to uh, the stamina of a staff it is cumulative, and that's what the Giants are doing right now. They are just not converting batted balls into outs, and I don't know if it's a blip because they're very good at converting batted balls into outs last year. Not much has changed other than a year on the calendar and maybe one or two guys' uh, personnel. So if they can fix that, they might be ready to contend with the Dodgers and the, and the Potters at the top. I mean, they are contending, but they might be... Not the favorites, but not the underdog, so to speak. When you th- look at their defense, like is it just, is it guys not making plays versus guys not being in the right spot? Like what what it, what is the root of it? It is guys not being in the right spot's a great way to put it. Lots of because if you look at the batted ball metrics, the Giants are limiting hard contact by a bunch. They are getting ground balls. They are doing the things that traditionally, I guess neo-traditionally, that you're supposed to do as a pitching staff. And they're getting it. They're just not converting them into outs. And whether that is Evan Longoria's hurt, so now you have Wilmer Flores at third. Or Brandon Belt's hurt, so now you've got Darren Ruff at first base. Austin Slater is hurt, so now you have Mike Estremski in center. And you have two corner outfielders, Jock Peterson, Luis Gonzalez, or you have Darren Ruff in left. You have two corner outfielders who are going to be fairly... uh, clompy in the outfield <laughs> so that's sort of injuries have hurt them a little bit you don't have buster posey that doesn't necessarily affect balls in play but 
it's just overall, they are not converting baseballs into outs. And they have a lot of pitchers who have their own unique style, whether it's Tyler Rogers coming down. Alex Cobb has a very unique look. Carlos Rodon has a very unique look. And it seems like their positioning just isn't working for these pitchers. Or it might be bad luck, but I'm not allowed to say that because it might be you know, not bad luck. So I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a complicated melange of different uh, factors. I mean, one of the things with the giants is you, it's hard to watch them and not outside the context of last year's team. Mm-hmm. Right. So like yes. when you watch them play, like if I, if you look at that roster and you think about like who runs the team and all that, and it's like, Oh yeah. 88 wins. Like good, good little club, you know, like, cool. Like I, I, I like that. I like this. Like, yeah, they should sign Aaron judge. And like, these guys are going to be like legit. All right, cool. But this is pretty similar to the team that won one Oh seven last year. So like, you watch them and you're like, all right, when are they going to hit that? Like, uh, when's like Gabe going to throw the magic dust at them? You know, that all of a sudden, like every roster line change works, every batted ball gets caught, you know, all that stuff. But it's still, as you said, a lot of stuff is going right. It uh, doesn't look nearly as impressive as it did last year, but it's still, it, you know, it looks like they're going to be a good team. It looks like they're going to be in the playoffs and kind of, you know, they just swept the Dodgers. So like they're in a pretty good spot. It seems like they're playing the Royals now. So like that close to free money at this point. I don't know. It's shaping up to be a really interesting race, like three good, talented, flawed teams, which is the next best thing over super teams, I guess, right? Like super teams, like super teams banging heads is, I think, the best option. But like teams that do a lot of things well and also have obvious problems are also very intriguing. So I like it. The difference between the Giants this year and last year, it's pretty it's pretty simple insofar as last year, if you had to look at the biggest disappointment on the Giants, uh, of all the players who got more than 100 at-bats, it's going to be, I don't know, Mauricio Dubon, who didn't, he played in 74 games. He's basically a, a, a utility player. Uh, Alex Dickerson didn't hit that well. And that's like the end of the list. Everyone else had their moments, had like a pretty strong season through out. I think there was 12, 13 hitters who had more than 100 plate appearances who had an adjusted OPS better than league average. So they had just this quality of quantity that was in quantity of quality that was fantastic. And you're not going to get that every year. And the difference is that the Dodgers seem built to have that kind of team. The Dodgers are paying to have that kind of team. They're not trying to stumble into, oh, surprise, Lamont Wade Jr. They might do that with someone, but that's not how they're built. And so that's why it's so easy to pick the Dodgers every year. And that's so why it's so easy right now to look at the various rosters and say, wow, the Giants are really getting some great contributions from Luis Gonzalez. The Dodgers, maybe they can get some better contributions from, oh yes, Justin Turner, Max Muncy. It's <laughs> yeah. so that's why it's just so easy to default to the Dodgers because I think I still think that they're a historic team. I really do. Well, you know, when you're when you say like, oh, you know, Luis Gonzalez is really doing a great job out there in right field, you know, good good production. Like, hey, who's the right fielder for the Dodgers? Oh yeah, Mookie Betts. Okay, <laughs> right. Cool. It's right. exactly right. And you have like you can go down and and look and Gavin Lux is basically having a, a little bit better year than Tyro Estrada. But at the same time, like that's how the Giants are built, where they're going to find a fake Gavin Lux. They're going to find an off-brand Gavin Lorks, and right. that's <laughs> that's what they've done. You know, at, at a lot uh, of a lot of these positions with the Giants, right? Like Buster Posey's literally not there. Brandon Belt has been hurt and is not 
you know, hitting it like he was last year. And, you know, Brandon Crawford's, like, come back to earth. Like, he's got a 90 OPS plus. Like, none of these things are surprising, right? Like, it's not surprising that Joey Bart was not just immediately Buster Posey, right? Especially last year's version of Buster Posey. It's not surprising that Brandon Belt uh, is, is a little bit less productive and injured. And it's not surprising that Brandon Crawford is back to being pretty close to the guy he was, you know, in, like, 19 to 20. You were the the person who suggested NL West chatter in the chat when we're trying to figure out topics. And I'm wondering if you are not covering one of these teams full time. Is the NL West to you far and away the most interesting division in baseball? I'm trying to look. Like Yankees are kind of running away with it. You have a little bit of intrigue in the central. Lots of, I guess the central, you've got the Brewers and Cardinals beating each other's heads in. Is it the West, like from an outside perspective? It's the West, but also uh, the Braves potentially running down the Mets is going to be a fascinating psychodrama to follow this summer because the Mets, understandably, their fan base is dealing with like significant trauma of leads blown in the past. Uh, I think the Mets are probably the best team in that division, but Atlanta's you know won like ten in a row and they're coming on really hard and they've the lead for the the Mets went on this like ten game trip through hell uh, out to California where they played the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Angels and they went like five and five, which is perfectly fine, you know, like per- respectable, right? The thing is that their lead in the division went from like eleven games to five, uh, which is just awesome. So like, yeah, it, that, that should be that's very fun. Um, I think I think Atlanta and the Mets are going to play uh, a lot of good baseball games as this uh, the season unfolds. Now, on a scale of one to ten, how great of a nonsense trade are the Mets going to make at the deadline? Like, is they do because they have this Steve Cohen mentality of you know all in, you know, cowabunga. And I'm this has to they have to make a goofy ass trade, right? Is that the expectation around the Mets is that they're going to make a goofy ass trade of some stripe? I don't know if the adjective, uh, the compound adjective goofy ass has been used, but they are going to be in the market for upgrades for sure. Uh, Wilson Contreras makes a ton of sense, but Wilson Contreras makes a lot of sense for a lot of teams because he's might be the best catcher in baseball and he'll be imminently available. Um, they could probably use some pitching too, uh, the Mets, you know, so they could be in the market for Montas or Castillo. I mean, the market is so, I mean, it's June. Like we didn't used to, t- like there used to be, an accepted understanding among people who cover baseball that the trade market doesn't really begin until July 1st. And even then that's when preliminary conversations happen. But now we're like handicapping it in May. And there's all these stories. It was like, you know, if the, if the Red Sox like put Bogarts on the market, like what, what'll it be? And it's like, well, or they could just like make the playoffs, which is still very possible. So who knows? I do expect the Mets to be aggressive. You know, I, I know that you are, you are, pushing very hard for the Mets as the like great stupid team. They haven't really done a lot of stupid stuff. No, no, no. Like, yeah. They, they don't really have but they they do do stuff and they do do big stuff. So I expect them to do something big, but like do I expect them to trade, you know, their top prospect uh, I think it's Francisco Alvarez as uh, like the the double A catcher who's raking? No, I don't. You know, do it. Do I expect them to like trade the Tom Seaver statue or something like that? No, I, I, I don't expect that. But they will do something big, I would say. 
I would like to clarify that I'm not saying this because I am lol Mets, right? I'm not saying this because the Mets have a vibe. I'm saying this because whenever you have a billionaire in a lotus position floating off the ground and just saying like, let the baseball come to me, that's when I go, ooh, let's see where this goes. Because (laughs) billionaires generally don't, I mean, well, listen, I'm watching the Warriors right now. So sometimes the billionaires are, are, are mighty smart and they have good ideas about spending money. So it can work. I just look at the Mets as being under like trying to prove a point i guess they are not the old mets and so what are not the old mets going to do they're going to do something that's new mets and i just think that anytime you throw those sort of monkey wrenches in there there might be calamity and i enjoy we enjoy a lot of calamity on this podcast that is true we are a pro calamity podcast we're pro calamity no i i just look at the it's hard for me to look at the nl west and be objective because that's i'm staring at these teams for most of my adult <laughs> life and so i just look around baseball and i you know i catch games here and there but i just with the yankees running away i think the the east had a pretty good chance to be this really compelling division and the Yankees going bananas has ruined a lot of fun they need to come back to earth they need to be a goofy ass team they're really good I I have a lot of regret about a lot of things in life but I felt (laughs) very strongly actually during spring training that the Yankees were the best team in the American League mostly just because I kept looking at like the Fangraphs projected numbers and they had them at 99 wins and I kept just looking at it and being like what am I missing? And then I would look at their roster and I'd be like, all right, there's a lot of good players. Then I would go back to it. And then I would look at the Blue Jays roster and I'd be like, yeah, I like the Yankees better. You know, I just succumbed to groupthink or whatever and I picked the Blue Jays to win the division. And I've, and I've felt like an idiot since then because I just – I looked at the Yankees and it was like, that team is really good. Everyone is just mad that they didn't spend a lot of money in free agency. We know – uh, and again, we are the only pro-labor podcast, but we know that spending in free agency is often incredibly inefficient and rarely turns out as well as it does, you know, in the case of like Max Scherzer, it more often is in the case of like whatever Robbie Ray is doing right now. And the Yankees know this and they have a really good team, but I, I just, I just caved and I picked the Blue Jays and I feel like an idiot. And so I've, I, I just harbor a lot of regret about that. I should have put down my flag and said, actually, the Yankees are the best team in the AL. You know, I'm with you, except I don't have regrets because when I was looking, I was like, uh, uh, Jameson Tyon, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about this guy. Eh, kind of mediocre. Jordan Montgomery, eh, just kind of a guy. Nestor Cortez, let's see him do it again, right? You know, like I'm just looking at these. I'm looking at the rotation more than anything else. And then when you add in all these question marks, well, is Stanton going to stay healthy? Is it they're going to be uh, just a one-dimensional team that is subject to flail against good pitching because they're all or nothing, blah, blah, blah. I had good reasons. It wasn't like I was inventing reasons to hate the Yankees, but all those things, they basically tell, you know, dorks like us to shut up because they're all doing really well. Like Nesta Cortez is a marvel. And I'm not going to say that I'm the only one that slept on him or that, you know, the analysts are the only ones that slept on him because the Yankees gave him up once because they slept on him, you know? He wasn't good enough to pitch on the Orioles. Like, I mean, there's been a lot written about him, and uh, you know, Lindsey Adler's done a really good job writing about Nestor Cortez's sort of origin story, what, however you want to frame it. But he he's he combines sort of uh, like an old school sort of mix with new school usage in a way that's really interesting. And so he put, he doesn't throw super hard, but he locates in ways and uses sort of sequencings that are uh, you know really really disruptive. And um, the Yankees are really good. I expect a, the, uh, some regression in their rotation. You know, Judge, 
Aaron Judge probably won't hit 65 homers this year, but like, you know, every day he hits a home run, so that helps his cause. They're really good. I mean, they're obviously the best team in the sport right now. It's just kind of a matter of like if they can keep it going. I mean, that's kind of the name of the game, right? They say it's a, a marathon, not a sprint, Grant. They say you take it one day at a time. You take it one day at a time, Andy. All right, I think that's a good place to end uh, so that everyone listening can just sort of ruminate on that. Like one day at a time, maybe that's how we should all live our lives. What do you think about that, Andy? Where did you go on vacation, Grant? I went to Pinnacles National Park. Uh, I camped. Pinnacles National Park. Is that like uh, like Sandals, Jamaica? Well, no, I did wear <laughs> sandals, but it was okay. very dusty. It is... About two hours south of the Bay Area, two and a half hours south, about an hour south of Hollister, if you know where that is. It is uh, very accessible. It is, they have golden condors there. I'm presenting it as if like, oh, I'm just a camping guy. I go camping all the time. I am a big weenie when it comes to camping. I am not good at it. I am, uh, it was hot. We got there, we let the dogs run around, and real quickly, someone came up and said, oh, you might want to put them on a leash, A, because that's the rule, B, because there's rattlesnakes everywhere. And so then we had dogs on a leash, and dogs don't like the leash. So it was an interesting uh, sort of mix of, of good-timey vibes, but I don't know. I like I like camping well enough. I like nature in theory. Like I want one of those Jurassic Park bubble cars to just go wherever I want in nature, and you give me a Jurassic Park bubble car, and I'm, I'm Joe Nature. I like nature, but I prefer comfort. So uh, I can't, I don't really do camping and I wouldn't do glamping. I mean, that just seems like a way to spend money to feel like a jerk. Yeah, I've never done glamping. I did stay in a place uh, on the coast up by Wallala, a place called St. Ors, that uh, doesn't have phones in the room and there's no TV, there's no Wi Fi, there's no cell phone reception. And you actually had to go down to a payphone to call your family and make sure they were alive. And so that's about as close to glamping as I've been. And I enjoyed that because it really is just, you know, it's like taking your toys away. Now you've got to make the cardboard box your favorite toy. And you could be really good at inventing, like, how to play with that cardboard box. And so I like that aspect of it. But as far as glamping, yeah, I'm kind of. Yeah, putting your putting your life on airplane mode sounds like a good time for at least like a couple of days. You could, if you slap together, I'd say about thirty thousand words on lifestyle changes with a title. That's the title of the book. Putting your oh, life putting on, your life in. on airplane mode, like at least three hundred thousand copies would move. Yeah, people would just buy that because they'd be like, "I would love to do that." That's like freaking I would, genius. I would, yeah, we let's uh, let's talk more. We can. Let's circle yeah, back. We, yeah, we, yeah. Hey, and no one, everyone listening, if you made it to the end, you steal our idea. We're we'll, gonna mess you up. We'll lawyer up. We know. Uh, we know Evan Drellick. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. This has been episode. What do we say? 11, Eleven of the Roundtable. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, do we get Craig back? I mean, was he ever even here? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. He, you know, who, who knows? Uh, you know who will be here next week though? Me, Grant. I'm here every week. Because you're the damned glue. (laughs) Something like that. I got nowhere else to go. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday to talk baseball. Thanks.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.